Welcome back. Welcome back. Bigger Talks, Bigger Talks podcast. We have another episode. And this one, guys, is so amazing. It's so good because it's intellectually sound. It's going to make you think, question your ethics and your leadership and your social interactions and the workplace, life. And we have today, we're bringing on Christopher Gilbert, you know, a leader, uh, ethics expert. Uh, we're going to get into what that really means. And he's all about ethics and doing what's right and being fair. He did discuss that he is a Libra. You know, you guys know I'm into astrology. I love Libras. They're very balanced. But he also has a new book out, The Noble Edge. I like these colors too. That's actually kind of color of the book I have out. Um, Reclaiming an Ethical World, One Choice at a Time. Christopher, welcome. Thank you for joining me today on Bigger Talks. How are you, my friend? I'm wonderful. And thank you, Eric. It's a real privilege to be here. So and to uh, be part of your venue. Yes. So let's get into it. Like, so you did discuss that you're uh, up in not too far from Seattle, right? Correct. Yeah. Just about 25 miles south in a little town. Well, it's not so little anymore called Gig <laughs> Harbor. Yeah. So how did your journey in life start? Like, where are you from? Uh, what did you go to school for? And like, just give the, the people just a synopsis of who you are in general. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And I, I won't go so far back as the original hospital bed. Um, I'll kind of start where the academic and the professional starts. So I actually got my bachelor's degree in geology. And uh, after that, spent about three years in, in uh, engineering geology, mostly working on the North Slope in Alaska, not looking for oil, but looking for construction materials up there. And I got tired of freezing various appendages off in minus 120 degree wind chill and said, there's got to be a better way. So I went back to school and got my MPA, excuse me, MBA, and uh, that led me to a, a professor position at Evergreen State College. Uh, and uh, then after a few years of that, I actually got involved in an entrepreneurial organization uh, called Cravings. And we raised, raised about a million and a half in venture capital, which was a lot of money back then. Um, it's a lot of money now, but it was more back then. And uh, we put together this organization, worked for about five years at it, was very successful. Then a large company uh, whose oatmeal you eat in the mornings uh, came and spent uh, about a month with us thinking that they would do a buyout and uh, get us in, in fact out of Washington state and across the country in expansion. Um, they spent that month with us and then left and they were quiet for about six weeks and then sent us a letter that said, you know, we're not gonna do this. We're gonna stick with the frozen meats and frozen foods and do what we do best. Uh, and then we discovered about uh, four months later that they had opened an identical operation to ours. Uh, and that's what led our venture capital group to say, well, we don't have the resources the big company does, so let's sh shut things down. And I had to lay off 35 really wonderful employees. And that was probably one of the hardest days of my life. But I think that planted the seed to think about how we make choices and how we could make better choices, not just in business, but personally. And uh, so then I realized I needed to get a better understanding of that and went into my PhD work, uh, did a bunch of research on how we talk about this subject and what's effective and what's not, and then uh, began to do my own consulting work. So this is so about 25 years ago now. And I started to do my own work in it um, based on the, the moral development that I had uh, studied about with my PhD. So the PhD is in organization and management uh, with an emphasis in leadership ethics. Um, and so that's really what started my journey down that path and doing consulting now on four different continents, working for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and uh, finally winding up with the new book and sitting here very privileged to talk with you today. Yeah, good. That's great. 
So leadership ethics, where, what is that? What is the definition of that? Yeah, so you can take a look at the ethics in any particular world, so medical ethics or uh, business ethics or leadership ethics. In this case, it's really about the idea, you know, that especially in an organization, the largest shadow is cast from the top. And we can say the same thing about sunrises. But in this case, if people are making poor choices or the C-suite, the executives, the leadership in an organization isn't taking on the mantle of building an ethical organization, and uh, maybe there are elements of social responsibility in that, um, then the organization is going to uh, uh, in fact, statistics profitable organizations uh, and by the way the ones with the happiest employees um, are the ones that take on ethics uh, and uh, creating better trust uh, between themselves and the organization and their clients and customers they take that on as a part of their mission so in this case leadership ethics is in this is is coming to understand what that impact of leadership is in terms of the trust and trust building you do as a company yeah, you know, as you were speaking, you know, it popped in my head, trust, right? That's been a big challenge of mine growing up, you know, as a young man and today as an adult. So for you, where did ethics start in your life? And how does one build trust as an individual? If you, mm, don't, so, you don't even know what it means. Yeah, it's a really good question. I think that understanding of trust uh, happens, and I'm not an infant psychologist, but I think that happens from the very beginning as... Uh, uh, infants after they're born begin to reach out and get an understanding that by doing certain things, certain actions, certain smiles, certain ways of being, um, they actually get something back in return, right? And maybe that happens when they're doing something wrong, but they certainly feel or see the positive side of it. Just look at the way a baby smiles, you know, what, after just a few months, perhaps, they're beginning to interact with the world. And my book spent some time talking about this more from an adult perspective than a, than a child's perspective. But uh, the idea that we can climb up this ladder and we wind up doing it all through our lives, going from the most selfish thing on the planet, which would be an infant, uh, which is, it's all about me, uh, feed me, clothe me, wake me up, put me down, right? It's, the world is about me. That's really the first step in an understanding of trust or trust building with the world, ethics with the world. So you've got the it's about me step. And then the next step up is, well, it's about some of us. Uh, my family, the people I'm loyal to, my business, my neighborhood, uh, even all the way up to my nation, because that doesn't include the rest of the world. I can think about making choices based on whether some of us are going to gain in those choices, where at the first level, it was just about me gaining. And then the third level, so we've got, a, it's about me, it's about some of us. The third level is it's about all of us. That's the highest the moral thing. level to make choices, right? So anybody who's impacted by the choice I make, and that's really what ethics is, a decision that is impactful on somebody now, somebody else now or in the future. Um, anybody who's impacted comes into that consideration as I'm making the choice. That's that highest step. Uh, it's about all of us. And I think all of that's about trust building. And I think all ethical choices are really about trust building or at least trying not to erode trust. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you say me, me, me as a baby, right? Because feed me, hold me, you know, look at me, smile at me. You think of trusting oneself so does one have to trust themselves to trust someone else does that trust gets built and still from an early age and then once you start learning to trust how you respond to someone and they give you an accurate response that you're looking for does that build more trust within yourself to have uh, it's, really, others? 
Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I'm not sure I've thought about it that way. And again, I'm no yeah. child psychologist, but I, I think that you could trust yourself to be unethical, right? So I'm not sure that trusting yourself uh, is really all it takes. In fact, I talk in the book about how ethics is a public process. You cannot uh, alone yourself decide what is unethical uh, because the moral guidelines you're using are those that are put together by you and the society around you. I think going from infant to child to teenager and up, you're actually learning to trust others where maybe from the beginning you trusted yourself. Um, you're really beginning to learn to trust others and hopefully that's growing. And the book really, when it says, you know, creating an ethical world, uh, one choice at a time, that's really about the impact that we have uh, on the others around us. And the fact that that comes full circle back to us, if we're making our community better, then it turns out as the community gets better, so do we. So we're actually helping ourselves as we think about uh, about helping the community as well. And I think in all of that is that idea of building building the trust with others we need to figure about to figure out our interdependencies and, and cooperation with each other. Yeah, because, you know, I'm a big picture person. I'm always about the big picture. But in my lifetime, I grew up in Baltimore City, very challenging, different type of environment, um, violence, crime, you know, so you grew up with a different type of trust. <laughs> In yeah, there you go. In awareness, right? So then, you know, fast forward, I go to college, I graduate, and I go move to LA. Been in LA 11 years, you know, I had some opportunity to go on TV shows and be around some famous people and do some incredible things. So my surroundings and environment changes, right? So my trust in myself and others have to change. But what, what I ran into, what I run into is that how does one, as all, I always say one for all, all for, for many, build that ethical uh, uh, capacity within each other if we have totally different perspectives based on our upbringing. So how does, if you know, if I come from this background and my ethics is, well, I have to do this, do that. And then you come from this background where what I do is wrong, but to me, it's right. How do you make that make sense for someone to say, um, okay, that's valid. And I was reading a book called Psycho Cyber, Cyber, Cybernetics, and they were saying that it's not about um, who's right, it's about what's right. Mm. So can you elaborate on how does one from a different part of life or world or in, environment experience understand the other person who's different, but also try to build the same ethics where it's not hurting? I don't know if that's possible, but it's a, something I thought about when I was reading over your notes. I'm like, because I do have different people from all walks of life where people are really here, you know, social and, you know, financial, and it is different and it is a different experience. No, absolutely right. And it's a great question. Um, the, the perspective that you're talking about in ethics is called relativism, okay. which means that ethics are relative to your background, what you know, who you know, and that there isn't a universal set of things that we can uh, talk about or rely on when it comes to making ethical decisions. And the book is quite uh, uh, pointed about saying that's actually not going to work as we see it doesn't work. It isn't that we can't have our own perspectives. It is like you were saying, we need to concentrate on what's right for everyone. That third step, if I'm making a decision, it can't just be about me and what I gain or lose. It can't just be about a few of us around that I'm going to be loyal to because we face that world all the time right now being treated ethically as sort of the luck of the draw. And that doesn't really work very well. Now, if we could rely on everyone to be making a set of universal choices, then that creates a completely different world 
where we're all able to excel and go farther and we're not just waiting for that ethical person to come by. Is it impossible to do? No. In fact, we can witness this um, at all three steps if we wanted to. It's something as simple as a four-way stop sign. <laughs> right? So if you think about what's happening at a four-way stop sign, it's trust. Okay, there may be laws that say that you're illegal and you'll get a ticket if you don't stop there. So I can make the choice to stop there simply based on me. Uh, I'm going to get rewarded by not getting a ticket if I stop here, or I'll be rewarded by not getting hurt because this is dangerous with all of us going in different directions. So I'm going to think about me and make that stop. Um, and uh, uh, so there you go. I've made a right choice, but it is, it's not always consistently right if I'm only thinking about me. And if I'm demonstrating trust, I can do this at the next level. Well, it's about some of us, those of us that are entering this four-way stop or those of us are going just a certain direction at that stop and we'll work together to go through it the way that we are because there's safety in numbers, whatever that might be. But really what's working at a four-way stop is that universal set of it's about all of us. Yeah. And in fact, an understanding that I have to demonstrate trust and I need to trust you in, in stopping there as well. And if we do that, we're both going to achieve something far better than me, let's say, not believing in a four-way stomp, stomping on the accelerator and going through it with my eyes closed, hoping that there's no one coming the other way. In fact, in a world where there were people that didn't believe in a four-way stop, there'd still be a number of people in that group that stopped simply because they were worried about self-preservation um, yeah. and, and they were affected. And of course, if we are coming to a four-way stop and we're not trusting anybody, we're going to have to sit there until whatever cars are coming from other directions are far enough away that we can stomp through and go through it because we don't know whether they're believers or not in that four-way stop. So even the world of non-believers, right, those that don't believe in four-way stops is affected by the other possibility there are non-believers and we now go to a world that isn't working as well as it could. There's great advantage in understanding the, the uh, trust that's there. So maybe more to your question, the idea of relativity, my ethics are relative to who I know and what I know. There's still a universal set of virtues. Uh, I could say that trust is the same here or in Russia or in Cambodia or in Australia. Same thing with love. Love is the same here or in Cambodia or Australia or Russia. It may take on different forms. There may be other things around it. So demonstrating that love may be a different thing, but the virtue itself is the same and it's universal. And that's where you get a universal set of principles that help us all to make the most ethical choices. Yeah, you know, because I believe the intangibles of life is what make us all the same. Love, feelings, emotions, and thinking of it from that perspective, because, you know, in the world we live today of the pandemic, masks, vaccine, all these things, you have a bunch of people who believe one thing versus another. And so I like to come, you know, the Libra in me, you know, you're a Libra, you don't want to balance the scale. Okay, what makes sense for this person might not make sense for that person. Or what makes sense for me might not make sense for you, but what is the, uh, Gary Zukov, he, he wrote the book, The uh, Seat of the Soul, he talks about being a universal human, right? So if I just say, this is my community and this is what I believe, but what, as a universal human, what do you want to believe for the whole? And so I feel like, you know, in the world, maybe it starts with education, we're not programmed or conditioned to know how to control our response or ethical thoughts when someone goes against what we believe. So what happens is, like you were saying, people make decisions, right, when they feel that person is wrong or they're offended, and 
So now there's more of pushing each other down and there's no love, there's hate. And so is, there, is it possible? I mean, of course it is, but what is a, maybe you don't know this answer, but for us as a whole to kind of just accept each other as we are, despite what we believe, think and feel, even if it's different. You know, because I can't make you believe what I believe because these are my experiences and you don't believe them, but I can accept what you believe and try to get to understand your perspective to maybe change my opinion about it. But I think we're in, in the world of the media, everyone's attacking each other, right? And there's no balance. There's no, in some sense. So how do we get on that ethical pattern of coming to the table and say, listen, you wanna be heard, speak your point, how can I listen without reacting with a negative or emotional response that's gonna hinder or hurt you, but have compassion for what you believe, even if I don't agree, but understand like I respect that because that makes sense based on your experience. It's a great question. I'm so glad you asked because really that's the, the, the point of the book is to create a conversation and provide a set of tools that are for exactly what you're speaking about. How in the world can we bring these diverse opinions, the diverse education, the diverse spiritualities of the world together um, and recognize a better truth than we have now where everybody gets to do things separately and that leads not to greater unity, but to greater divisions. You know, in my faith, which is the Baha'i faith, uh, there's a saying, we're all leaves on the same tree. So the idea that we can somehow cut off a branch or, or take these leaves off the tree or do something with the roots and it doesn't uh, hurt us as well is ridiculous. And so, in fact, the best uh, growth of that tree occurs because we're all looking at, at the problems that we face together. And by the way, we see these problems getting larger and larger and uh, they're needing to be more global cooperation to take care of them. You think of something like climate change or even COVID is a great example. They don't need a passport and a visa to cross borders. They just simply, you know, these the, the, the climate changes and the, the disease happens. It crosses borders with complete transparency because to it, there are no borders. The borders, in a sense, are in our heads. And so the real immigration problem that we have is something like climate change or COVID crossing those borders without being able to do anything about it. And the solution to the problem is also by its very nature, universal. We can't take care of climate change in the United States. We're one percentage of the world or pollution in the seas or pollution in the air or denuding of natural resources. We have to look at this as a global problem because it's, that's exactly what it is. And while we seem pretty pessimistic about taking care of that problem now, in the end, the only way it'll get taken care of is by us coming together interdependently to do it. In fact, that issue of global, cha global climate change or the issue of COVID really is in some way providing us platforms or supports on which to begin to think about more of a, a, a global village perspective. It's about all of us, not just yeah. about some of us here in the United States or me and what I have or don't have. It's about all of us coming together to solve that problem. I'm sorry we had to have a problem to think about coming together, but the only way it'll get solved yeah. is if we all come together to do it. And nationalism or national sovereignty falls by the wayside. Uh, economically, it certainly fell by the wayside long ago where we are a global economy. We see that happening. China has a problem with one of their companies that's you know worth billions or trillions or billions rather. Um, and all of a sudden our stock market falls 400 or 600 or 800 points. We are a global economy. So we can begin to what unity 
not only problems, so advancing us um, into arenas that we may not have had a chance to do before, the better off we're going to be. And part of the solution is education. Yeah, part of the solution yeah. is, is healing our families. Once, we, once our families are more healed, then that actually begins to build the trust, not only in the families, but in the community that begins to seep out. Um, so we have to really look at this, like you said, in a, in a systems thinking sort of way. Uh, that came out of biology. It basically says, I can't, if I contribute negatively, negative, excuse me, negatively to the system that I'm in, I'll eventually kill myself off. Mm. Like cancer in a sense, right? Cancer doesn't come in and do things positive to the body so it survives. Cancer actually comes into the body and kills off the very system it needs in order to survive, right? So it's this really silly closed loop. Dying, um, dying within yourself. Exactly. And that's why the, I, I, the book talks about this twofold moral purpose where we're helping others, we're actually helping ourselves, where we're building community, we're actually building a better world for ourselves. And that twofold moral purpose is really one of the uh, main objectives to think about reclaiming an ethical world by the choices that we make. Yeah, and it's, it's, uh, it's vital because I always say the more we give, the better we live. But coming from my background and what I believe, like I always said, the big picture, but how does a one who has the ethics of being a giver, like myself, you know, how do I, as an individual, better understand ethically being a receiver, right? Because I know as a giver, if I give, I'm not only helping myself, I'm helping someone else, but I think a disconnect sometimes based on my upbringing, I don't know how to receive the way I give. Mm. So what type of ethics do I need to establish or have to kind of make it all makes sense, right? Because I can't just be given and not receiving. It's like, I'm stopping the circulation, the law of circulating, right? Because when it comes to me, I'm like, oh, but when I want to give it, it's like, how do I make that balance uh, in a natural way or subconsciously where I'm okay with receiving? And it's not, because growing up, it was like negative in my mind to receive because I didn't want someone to feel like they had one up over me or, you know, just sabotaging myself before my, my limits and beliefs on it. That is not really real. It's just something I created based on experience. Yeah, it's a, another really great question, this idea of the give and take of it. Um, let, me, let me go someplace first and we'll come back to this. Okay. Um, a lot of people talk about values and using their values to make choices. There's a very interesting model. It's called the 4V model. So there are four V words in this model um, that have to do with going beyond that understanding. So if you'll let me, um, the four Vs are vision, voice, values and virtues. And this is done uh, with uh, by Dr. Bill Grace in his work at the Seattle Center for Ethical Leadership. And so uh, a vision is understanding something different in the future than exists now. For a business, it's having an idea and, and trying to figure out how to market and become successful with it. Um, for any of us, it's the idea that they're in, in this case might be a better world out there. And I'm, I can see that better world as a vision of it. Let me drive a stake in the ground and work towards that. And I can probably get others uh, to think about that vision as well. We know there are powerful speakers and leaders that actually are trying to help us go to, toward a better vision of the world now. Uh, the next V is voice. So do I have enough of a voice as a leader um, or enough of a voice as an individual that others are gonna follow me to go to that certain place that, that's in the future? Um, the third V is values. What values do I have to get us there? Um, and what are we going to agree together as a set of cooperative uh, persons that are working on this to, to get to that stake that's been driven in the ground? So 
those three V's are very powerful. And quite often when I do my work in the business world, we do talk about what the company's values are um, and, and what kind of a voice the leader has. But I'm going to use a really hard example here. Hitler had all three of those. He certainly had a vision about what the world was going to look like. He certainly had a voice either through negative, uh, uh, you know, negative reactions or positive rewards. He had a voice to lead others toward that vision. And obviously, he had a set of values. This is what the world is supposed to look like. And I want you all to believe that this is, this is how we agree that we're going to work together on getting that world. What's missing is in, in that set of three V's is the fourth V, which, by the way, is the, is, is the most important because it undergirds or supports the other three V's. It's virtues. What virtues did Hitler have? Well, it certainly wasn't working for the common purpose or common rights, right? That's, that's not a part of the virtue that's there is understanding equity or equality, right? So that virtue is missing in the first three V's. So it's really important that we begin to articulate that fourth V. What virtues are we using in order to be able to build this world that I've got an influence in trying to create and, and spending time on things like trust? And trustworthiness, which is, again, I think the uh, goal of all ethical choices, is one of the virtues and probably one of the more important virtues we use in order to be able to get there. If you'll let me diatribe one second longer here, well, maybe a minute longer, is, you know, I regularly ask at some of my uh, presentations or seminars, what, what, you, what do you think is the most important human virtue? And most often the word I get is love, right? That's yeah, the that's virtue. Yeah, that's much to say love. That's exactly right. Yeah, because it is, and it's something that separates us, and we're told to expand that love, uh, whether it's uh, love for yourself or love for others or love for God. We're told that that's part of the purpose of life is expanding that. But if you really think about it, what undergirds or supports love, true love, is trust, mm. trustworthiness. How can you possibly love someone you don't trust or who doesn't, right? Or who doesn't trust you, yeah, right? Who doesn't trust you. So in fact, trustworthiness is the foundation of all human virtues. And so again, we're thinking about building that trust or at least not eroding it with others, whether we're a business or an individual or a church or whatever political leader. Um, if we concentrate on that idea that every choice we make should be building trust and not eroding it, we'll make different choices and the world comes out way better for it. And we as individuals come out way better for it because the world's getting better. And that just answers so many questions because the trust is the root of all of it. Because how can you love someone you don't trust or they don't, it's like, and that's where the ethics comes into play, right? Your trust. And that just answered my question in a million ways. I'm, I'm glad you took the time to really, you know, break it down and, ah. So I was taking a EQ test, emotional intelligence. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, on, on psychology today, last week. And there was a question. Um, and then basically the question was based, what would you do in this situation? So the situation was, me and my boss, my boss, right? Who hired me for the job. We're doing a fundraiser for charity events for kids. We raised $10,200. We go back, we want to deposit the money. I notice the person who hired me, my boss, takes $200. Mm. So one answer was, do you tell him, put it back or you're going to tell and then never say anything? Uh, the, another answer was, do you just not care and just you know, you know, cover your eyes and act like it didn't happen? Or do you really report this person who hired you and make a decision? And I was like, how do you determine 
if what's ethical in that position, like that's a weird place to be in. You, this the person who hired me. Why would he take two hundred dollars from the kids? So how does one base that decision, and what's right and what's wrong about that? How uh, well, that? I I think of course that you probably already have the answer to what's right and what's wrong. It becomes a question of what moral courage you have and what risk you want to take as an individual to actually implement whatever that right choice is. Now, I don't know if that's reporting somebody on an 800 number where you're anonymous or going to the individual and saying, hey, you've done this and you need to change and you need to give that money back. In the end, it may be if someone is really corrupted enough to take that money in that way and think they can get away with it. Uh, the problem's a lot larger than just that $200 and that individual, and maybe the organization needs to be a little aware of it. I just want to answer as well, like it's not a big thing. Yeah, as well. Um, let me, let me, if I can, provide an example that sort of, okay. uh, I try and personalize these examples in the, in the uh, book so that you can really think about this on, on your own level, because uh, ethics are best uh, uh, understood when they are personalized. So I'll take your same example, but let me personalize it to you just a little. So let's say you're a student in my class and you're taking one of your last tests and you really need to get a good grade on it because a lot of us have faced this, I'm sure, in our lives. And by the way, it's an international example because other people, same thing in other countries, right? Um, and so you get the test back and you discover that you uh, didn't get the A or the good grade that you were hoping for. Uh, because I made a math error in adding up your points. And so you see, oh, my math error actually says you've got less points when in fact you earn more on the test. And I'll ask people, so what do you do about that? Well, most people, and, and maybe I should ask you, when you see that test and I've added the points wrong and you should be getting a, an A and not a B, what do, what do you do with that? What do you do with that information? <laughs> it's like, oh man, this is so good because it's simple to me. Yeah. It'll be simple to others. That goes back to my, my moral compass and what I believe. So two things came up. The first thing is, hold on. I worked hard for this test to get that A. Darn right. Right? Or you showed me $100 on what you owe me. Or better yet, I had an experience maybe 10 years ago at a gas station. Um, I gave, uh, I think I gave the, the guy $10, I believe. He thought I gave him $100. Oh. You gave me back a $20 bill or something like that. And, oh. like, and I didn't notice until I got home, right? And the gas station was only five minutes from where I lived. But my my spirit, right? If you're talking about ethics, you know, the spiritual sense, is like, I think you should go back and take it. And some people are like, no, that's on them. They made a mistake. That's, they, <laughs> that's the universe rewarding you, right? Take the money. But, and I, I guess this can kind of transition to like the spiritual side of ethics. Um, I took the money back because it felt just internally like I trusted myself, my gut, my spirit, my, you know, intuition. I know I didn't give him a hundred dollar bill and give him $20 back. So in that case, yeah, I would say, teach, stop, like, hold on. Like I got an A, what's going on? Yeah. Just you would take that. Understanding of what happened. Like, is it not what I thought it was? I would kind of get more information to understand why I did not, what, did you miss something? Yeah. And if I added the points wrong, you sure, why wouldn't you take that test back and go, hey, you you added these yeah. points and you came up with 80 instead of 90. 
So I've actually got an A, right? So it, it's fairly simple because it's it's the truth. And if the teacher's ethical, they're not going to punish you for coming in and saying that they made a mistake. You'll get the grade that you deserve. But let me turn this around a little bit, because I think this is where it does begin to personalize things. And you stated in your example, you took the money back. So good for you. That was the right thing to do. And I think you knew that inside, right? It was the right thing to do. Although I can come with all kinds of rationale that keeping the money is karma. Uh, Hey, what goes around comes around. Hey, I need it right now for to to, to pay the rent. And so God has provided. You can rationalize it any number of ways. But let me go back to the test. So let's say you get that test back from me. And you actually got the 90 points or the A that you were hoping for. Um, But as you look at the test, you realize that uh, you have the A or 90 points because I added the points wrong and gave you 10 more points than you actually deserved. So you really actually got an 80. But because I added the points wrong and you got a 90 and I recorded that grade, now you've got the score you wanted an A, but you got it because I, I missed the points on it, just like the earlier example. And I'm not going to ask you directly, okay, now what you do, now what are you going to do? I am going to say that at least most of us are going to go through some kind of a a check or a rationale about keeping those extra points. Who's going to know? This isn't going to hurt anybody. I'm sure the teacher doesn't know. I need an A to get into that other school I wanted to get into. I'm trying to get a scholarship. You can rationalize keeping those points. The real bottom line here is when we can play around with the truth, in the case of the points being on my side, I want to get my points and I'm going to show you you made a mistake and that's why I got a lower grade. That's on my side. I'm going to go show the teacher immediately. There's no debate about that. But then as the points are added and I get something that's me or good for me, I begin to think, well, I don't need to tell the teacher. They don't need to see the points. When we start playing with the truth like that, we're at that level one. It's about me. What's going to work out here for me? Or maybe the teacher knows I've got these extra points. So I'll go in and show them the extra points or I'll I'll go in and and show them that I really got an 80 or a B instead of an A. Um, But I'm but I'm doing it because I think I'm going to get punished if I don't. But still, it's about me. Right. Not the whole idea of trust and trustworthiness or or truth. So you can make good choices or ethical choices at the lower levels, like uh, it's about me. I'm not sure where you were, and you'd have to examine it yourself and thinking about, well, it's not just about me or some of us, it's about all of us. And this is the way I'd want to be treated. If I let a friend borrow a hundred bucks and they only gave me 80 back, <laughs> I would go after him and say, wait a minute, we're, you know, this is, the, this, this isn't right. We need to talk about getting even again here on the scheme of things. Um, if we can personalize these choices and think about them at a higher level, We'll actually wind up making better choices more consistently. Yeah, and I think you know to piggyback off of that, it is about it comes down to me because as ground is clear, we all at some point in our life bend the rules, right? So the, then the question becomes because if that was me in that situation and you gave me ten extra points, I would be full of gratitude, you know, and be <laughs> thankful, like thank you. But also there's times where I know someone gave me more than they should, and I I let them know and acknowledge it, like. But there's also times where I'm like, oh, I haven't said anything. Like, say, for instance, you want to get in a nightclub and you know you can skip the line or someone can get you in. You're not going to worry about, like, was that ethical to get in the line? So the, I think the question for me next is, like, what determines if something is ethical or not? Like, where does that, who determines that? Is it your intuition? Is it, does it come down to the me, uh, ego? Um, does it come to the big picture or is it just analysis based on survival or what makes sense for you in a moment like how do you base that's like if you're my friend and I have an event 
I'm not going to let you stand in the line. I don't care who they know you as. Christopher, let's go. Is that ethical? Well, we can spin that a bunch of ways and say, oh, but he, but that's my friend. This is my event. You know, so that's why I would say, how do we determine what's ethical as an individual? Yeah, again, this idea of personalizing it sometimes helps, not all the time. So in answer to what you were saying, so how would you feel if you're the next person in line or or worse yet, you're at the end of the line and there's only a certain number of people that are going to be let in and here comes Chris and meeting his friend Eric and they were up in front and they get in and off they go and I'm the last one out. I think the idea is that you could really think about standing in the other person's shoes, right? This is that golden rule idea. So how would you feel if you saw Chris and Eric getting in line in front of you when Chris hadn't showed up until the last minute um, and they were truly cutting in line um, and uh, all of a sudden you're somehow left out or disadvantaged. My guess is you don't have a good feeling about that because you yeah, stood in you I'll stood in the shoes of the other person. And I think this is really one of the keys is, is that idea of empathy, really truly understanding what it means to the other person because that gets us out of it's about me and begins to get us into the next level or levels about thinking like the other person in terms of the impact your action's going to have. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, it's hard to do. Uh, look, if you want to be in good shape and run a marathon, you're going to have to practice and it's going to take work. And it's not always, hopefully, uh, it's not always going to be easy. You actually have to work at it. So I think it's the same thing with ethics, especially in the world uh, we live now where there are a lot of people cheating in the marathon <laughs> coming into the race later on. If you yourself want to run a marathon, you're going to have to practice and and put in the work and the sweat to be able to do it. It's the same thing with making the right kind of choices, especially in a world where uh, people are often rewarded in the short term for making wrong choices. And we even look up to them, right? The sports stars that have gotten to where they are, not necessarily making all the right choices. The folks in Hollywood, uh, actors or producers or executives that, that get far along and have all kinds of notoriety, even though they're not necessarily making all the choices. The examples out there especially the ones that we sometimes hold up on pedestals, aren't particularly good for us to practice a marathon. It's like watching someone eat at McDonald's all the time and then get into a marathon and cheat in the marathon. And they're the ones that get all the press. Well, we are the ones that had to do all all the hard work. I think it comes to an understanding that in the end, the whole world gets better because of the choices, the better choices that we make as individuals. And that's going to make our world better. Um, And it's an awful hard thing to see sometimes, but if you begin to practice it, or you know this idea of the stair steps, and you can at least evaluate your choices afterwards, like, well, why wasn't I standing at the third step? It's about all of us when I made that decision to do X, Y, or Z, at least begins to get us out of the philosophical and iffy and gray world that ethics seem to be in now to a place that is more universal and and is based on virtues, right? Not virtues, ethics, but it's based on uh, virtues and making sure that we're building trust and not eroding trust with the choices that we make. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's interesting because I've lived that my entire life. And that's why I posed the question earlier on the receiving aspect, because I'm always thinking about the next person or everybody Mm. else. I think I struggle with at times, but what about you? And people say, well, you always giving and helping everyone else, but what about you? And I'm so good at thinking for everybody else and making Mm. sure they're okay and putting my foot in their shoes and say, well, how would they feel that I forget about me? And sometimes the you, the individual, the group needs you to be you so you can help them more, if that makes sense. But when, yes. I'm, when I'm always thinking for the group to help the group and I'm not thinking about me, I can lack 
why they succeed, but they're fine regardless, but I'm the one lacking. So it's like the, the economy, and it's just interesting because it's like, for me, it's the opposite, where a lot of people know how to receive and be okay with it, where me sometimes it's, it's a block, or like, what are you afraid of? Or what are you not trusting? Um, but it, it, like I said, I guess it's situational and you kind of got to, I guess there's balance. I, I feel like in life, that has to be balanced. There can't be, I feel like anybody that's at the top, they didn't do everything ethically, right? At some point they've been the rule, they made a mistake, doesn't make it wrong, don't make it right, it just make that was their journey. And maybe them making the wrong, making an unethical decision made them understand the benefits of being ethical, right? Because when people break the rules for so long and then they get caught, they learn lessons and then they're able to help people <clears throat> who, who wanna, who want a different perspective like for myself i'm always given but you know how to receive you can give me information i don't have to understand the ethics that you're trying to give right um and i guess that's just you know the analytical the curiosity i want to be for the group i want to be for people and not thinking about myself as an individual like what are my ethics what do i believe what do i want so you have a question here that i want to you know or a statement it says 92% of people agree with the phrase, I am more ethical than most people I know. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question. And, and uh, it's interesting because I'll quite often ask at uh, presentations or whatever groups I'm meeting with. Uh, so you knew this was gonna be a talk about ethics. How many are here today because you're unethical? Raise your hands. Well, of course, no one's raising their hand at that point, right? And so I said, yeah, that's right, because we all live by the highest standards. I said, how many, how many people here are glad that the person on the right, on their left, in front of them or behind them is in the seats today? And of course, that's when, that's when the hands go up, right? Uh, and, and I say, yeah, of course, because we're much more worried about everybody else than we are about ourselves. It's really a different set of lenses that we use to judge ourselves um, versus judging others. Um, in my classrooms and even in the corporate training rooms that I do, I've come to call this the ethics out of body experience, where somehow or other we read about or we see those awful and terrible heinous decisions made by high profile people in the news uh, or on social media. Um, and we say to ourselves, well, of course, I would never ever make a choice that way myself. Uh, because I have those ethics, you know, all while we're uh, fudging on our taxes, cutting people off on the freeway, secondhand smoking, downloading illegal software, right? Um, and I realized that this was happening in my classrooms first, and I'm not, that's not against people because I'm sure I was there as well. I realized that we needed to have that different conversation so that we could somehow clean off the lenses that we were using to judge others and use the same ones to judge ourselves so that we weren't thinking, oh, well, it's uh, uh, bad decisions are all about the big people that make terrible choices. No, really, I think America's moral compass is off because that's the way we think. America's moral compass is off because we're not thinking about the small choices that we make every day, all of us, and step up and down that moral ladder. I'm not saying everybody makes bad ethical choices all the time. I'm just saying that every day we face situations where we'll do a little bit of a compromise and come down, pull into a parking lot. The only at Christmas time, the only place is a handicap uh, parking stall. So I'm going to go ahead and park there. It'll just be a few minutes, right? Yeah. Without thinking about the other person, right? We make these kinds of choices, maybe not that specific one, you know, all the time. 
Um, and we're not thinking about others as we make them. And that's what puts them on that ethical radar screen where cutting someone off on a freeway, we don't think about that as an ethical choice, yeah. but it is, right? Because it actually has a, a perhaps a negative impact on someone else. Uh, and we've got our own reasons for doing it. We'll rationalize it just fine. Well, that's what happens when the high profile people make ethical choices. Let's talk about in the business world. No one walks into a corporate boardroom and says to the members of the board, okay, uh, everybody who's up for uh, uh, screwing the consumer and making lots of money and getting away with it, please raise your hand. You know, it doesn't happen that way. It happens the same way that we make a choice. We don't even really think about the ethics of it, but we rationalize that the outcome is going to be good, either for us, some of us here in the company or the nation, because we're a powerful engine of, of the economy, without thinking about what, well, yeah, but what is the real impact? And what if this were being done to me? How would I feel about that? So the book is really about trying to get people grounded in that idea and providing examples and tools, I think, that are fairly easy to use. At least that's what all the reviews are saying, yeah. um, to, to think about our choices in a different way and make better ones, um, but it does take practice. Yeah, it takes practice, it takes time. Uh, also, it takes awareness, because I've done all that, you know, cut someone off, you didn't mean to, he's like, ah, I get over, my exit is here, or pull into a handicap, I've done it, I've, I've been there. And I think for me, um, growing up and as I got older, I wanted to be this perfectionist, right? So I wanted to do everything, right? I want to be the honest person, I'm gonna tell the truth, I wanna, you know, and I realized it's, it's great, Right. But it also can be a downfall because sometimes people don't want the truth. Right. Or they're not they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to deal with it. Or sometimes you got to take a chance to see if you advance and make a decision that goes against what the collective thinks, because if you don't really feel that, like go back to the spirit. Which does a should a person jeopardize what their gut says for the for the for the for the big picture for peak for, for the for the whole if they don't feel it, you know, like how does one make a decision when they know deep down, they don't feel it, even if it's logically, it makes sense. It's practical. Why not? And, right. you know, and you feel like, well, I just don't feel like, is it wrong that I feel this way and I'm not making that decision? Or how do you label that, you know, thing or person? Are they wrong? Are they ethical? Or is it all subjective? You know, far be it from me to judge uh, some on some moral high ground. I always tell people that just because I, I've got a doctorate in ethics doesn't necessarily make me any more or less moral than anybody else out in the world. I think I just have a framework now to think about my choices. And as long as other people are saying I want to be more tomorrow than I am today, um, then I think I'm in the same category, right? Because that's really the way that I think about it. Uh, and again, I think uh, part of the thing here is uh, I call them the ethical acid test, the EATS, E-A-T, the ethical acid test, the questions that you can ask yourself when you're making a choice that might help you make a better ethical choice if you're if it's really foggy for you. Um, and the, some of them are, okay, what if this were being done to me? Uh, how would I feel? Is this the right thing? I'm okay with it. Uh, might be, okay, if this appeared on tomorrow's uh, front page of the New York Times or in social media, on CNN tonight, uh, is that a good thing? Do I want people to know about this or do I wanna keep this hidden? Yeah. If I wanna keep it hidden, then there's probably an ethical question mark to what it is that you're, uh, what it is that you're doing or what it is you think about doing. So they're very, very simple tools that we can use if we remember that there are tools there to use. And again, I think this gets out of, you know, there are a lot of people that believe that ethics are iffy 
um, that are gray. Somehow, I think we've gotten into this pattern of thinking that understanding ethics, that's really for the people who have great education or the great thinkers or the religious leaders, they understand. And, and the book is going to say, no, absolutely not. We all have the power to think about this in the right sort of way. And thinking that ethics are gray uh, or iffy is like using the statement sort of pregnant. Yeah. Or I sort of voted or I'm sort of human. You know, we all know you, you did or you did not. You are or you are not, um, because ethics are really there to tell us what's right and what's wrong. Um, you know, and uh, if we can get out of this thinking that it's meant to be for the great philosophers and each of us has the power. Yeah. Uh, and again, using some pretty simple tools to make the right kinds of choices, then that's actually going to to help us make better decisions because really ethics are there to tell us right from wrong. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, there are situations which makes it very difficult to make an ethical choice. Sometimes the cost is so high, it's impossible to make the right ethical choice because the cost is really going to be uh, much higher than the, you know, the outcomes if I go another way. Uh, but that doesn't excuse us yeah. from helping change the system so that our children or our grandchildren or the other people around us don't face the same terrible just choice that must be made that isn't completely ethical, right? So there's a certain amount of responsibility we have, especially as we make less than ethical choices because the system, the cost of the system is too high to do it. And by system, I mean the culture or the yeah. you know, situation that we're in. Uh, and we've got the power then to help think about uh, changing that system so that no one else, especially our kids, don't face the same circumstance where they can't make the right choice. Yeah, and it is very important because, you know, I like what you say. It's not that you're perfect because you have a PhD and you're an expert. It's just what you're willing and your intention is to make a better tomorrow, or be better today than you were yesterday. And it, it gets me to know with my following and my people that I'm not perfect. I'm not always happy. I'm not always jubilant and high, high energy, right? it comes to a point of being vulnerable with my listeners, being vulnerable with my audience to let them know like, look, I don't feel, I wanna to appear to be ethical, that's what you think. You might think I'm squeaky clean, but I'm not. I'm, I'm a human being, I make mistakes and I don't always have to figure it out and it might feel like I know what's going on or I have the answers, but I don't have all the answers, none of us do. So uh, there was an incident that happened uh, I think it was earlier this year with The Bachelor World, with Chris Harrison and uh, Rachel oh, Lindy. Yeah. And I, yeah. I both know them both, both personally. And, you know, my takeaway on it was different than a lot of people because a lot of people was upset, of course. It's, it's yeah, you could be upset. Like, but it, 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 for me, was I upset? I was upset how he responded, but I know who he is as an individual. That didn't make me hate him. You know, he apologized. Whether people thought it was genuine or not, is something like you said, a problem that brought certain people together and kind of distanced some folks. So for me, it was more of okay, I get it, I understand the wound, I understand um, how big of a thing that was. But at the end of the day, if that was you, it goes back to being personalized, right? It's easy to say what you would have done or what you would do if that was you in a position, but you're not in the position to understand the situational ethics or the moment to make that decision valid or invalid. And so I think, you know, that is so important because I've judged people. And then when I got in a situation, I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, 
oh, emotionally and mentally, I understand their decisions. Um, to move on, you know, we'll wrap up, wrap it up soon. The whistleblower from Facebook came wow. up uh, two days ago, right? So you have a, a question here. Can business leaders today be 100% ethical and still make a profit? And from that, from what I saw, I'm like, maybe not. <laughs> well, who knows? What's the more promise of being ethical when you're making a profit, when you got to eat or you got to make money? You know, what is your, what did that question, you know, uh, stem from? And what is the answer to that? Because I, I mean, maybe, I don't know. I think you can for sure. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting. When we started this work, oh, like I said, you know, 25 plus years ago, we didn't have a lot of statistics about the uh, tangible outcomes of, in this case, a business being, uh, you know, more ethical rather than less ethical. But we do know, in fact, there's a poll that's done by uh, uh, Ethisphere and uh, Gallup. Um, I don't know if it's done every year. It might be every couple of years that talk about the differences uh, inside the work of companies that rank in the top 100 most ethical companies versus the companies that rank in the bottom 100. And the statistics are quite astounding. Uh, for instance, productivity, which of course is a measure of, of profitability, um, there's a 21% increase in employees' productivity in the companies that are in the top 100 versus the bottom 100. There's a 27% increase in profitability in the companies that rank in the top 100 versus the, the bottom 100. There's a 37% decrease in employee absenteeism between the companies that rank in the top 100 and the companies that rank in the bottom 100. There's all kinds of evidence that demonstrates for companies that take on being ethical, building trust, maybe issues of social responsibility or, or working on climate change or resource issues. There's a great deal of profitability right? I mean, we're talking 27% more profitability in companies that choose the high road over companies that choose the, the low road. So the stats tell us that not only is it uh, useful in doing it, and it creates a much better atmosphere, but in fact, you wind up being more profitable as a company that takes that, takes that uh, mantle on of, of building trust, whether it's inside the organization or out towards uh, community clients and customers. Um, so it's pretty clear for those companies. And I think as we see more and more companies doing this and doing social responsibility issues or taking on climate change and resources, very interesting, for instance, as a, in an industry, the American car manufacturing industry is changing its plants over to electric cars right now. And uh, that's not because laws necessarily change. It's a much more about demand changing and us saying, this is what we want and them seeing profitability in it. But bottom line is there's a shift in the way that they're looking uh, at the environment and the vehicles that producing that would have been deadly to them as organizations 20 years ago. Yeah. So we know these advances are happening. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, why I'm very optimistic, not pessimistic, despite all the things that yeah. I see in my world, yeah. but I'm very optimistic about the things that are happening because there are more people of greater diverse backgrounds now asking the right questions and saying they're concerned and, and acting on those concerns um, in a deeper way than we did before. So even though that's come out of some pretty perilous stuff, especially over the last few years, um, it's, it's going the right direction. Yeah. And I think that kind of uh, activity, that kind of reaction, that kind of proactivity, very, very important to getting us towards that world where it's about building trust. Yeah, trust has been big in this episode, in this conversation. Um, before we finish, um, just want to feed off of that answer. It's really great how you answered it. 
so does that, uh, uh, what's the terminology I want to use? Is that way of thinking or being, does that apply to the individual? Because for a person like myself who are so socially aware, emotionally aware, right? Have a lot of information and awareness, I find myself at times always taking the high road, right? Because I'm aware or I can see things that others can't see, what makes me more responsible, doesn't matter the age or class or whatever, you know, what does it get to a point where like, that's, that's how you get, that's how you evolve more in life? Because there are moments where I'm like, I, right, <laughs> you know, like, I can't keep taking the high road, man. Like you gotta know that you messing up. You know, like there has to be some balance. So I'm just curious from your analysis or research, is there something that says like, yeah, the more high road you take, the better things will be, even if it feels like it's not. But it is hard when you know someone is doing something they shouldn't be doing. Um, but you know they can't see what they're doing, but you you take the high road because you're like, you don't really know, but it still has an impact on you mentally, emotionally. What does a person do? Do you always take the high road? What would you do or what would you say? Yeah, you've talked uh, throughout this interview about having some real capacities. And uh, you, you mentioned they come from family. You mentioned they just come from your life or who you are as an individual. Yeah. Some real capacities to make that choice. So in a sense, I shouldn't say it's easier but utilizing those capacities, taking the high road isn't as difficult uh, for you as it might be, and I shouldn't speak for you, but in, in my research, not as difficult as for those people that don't have or want to recognize um, those capacities with themselves. They, don't, they aren't thinking about being more tomorrow um, than they are today. In fact, they sort of look at the greater yesteryears where we need to go, and nationalism is a great example of this. Right? Oh yeah, we need to make ourselves greater again. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't work, and we've had you know 400 years of working on that premise that if America's great, the world's great. It's too late. We're all transparent. The borders are transparent to things. It's about making the world great by doing the things that make us great, not just the things that make us great. So in some regard, um, the answer to your question is we're always supposed to take the high road, but this is not a perfect world and we're not meant to be perfect individuals here. The earth doesn't work like that. I think we're here as my faith talks about and many other faiths talk about to grow the religious, I mean, the spiritual eyes and arms and limbs that we need for the next world that is perfect. Um, and so part of that is the growth that you face. And I would say by your example, by the, this very podcast, you're actually creating an opportunity for people to think about their better angels. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's just simply about this book and this interview, but more importantly, it's about, hey, maybe I'm going to hesitate to do that cutting off today that I always do every day uh, because I'm recognizing an impact that's different. If we can just think about our ethical choices and the it's about me, it's about some of us, and at the highest level, it's about all of us, we actually start making better choices. That's what my research really demonstrated in the PhD and that I was doing. You've been intentional about the choices you're making and how it's affecting someone else. Um, last question. Uh, on a scale from one to 10, it's no judgment. Just be honest. How ethical do you think you are? <laughs> it's, it's, it's 10 high or low? <laughs> 10 is high. You're high. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? I, I, I said at the beginning of this that ethics are meant to be a public process and that I can't alone myself decide 
what's ethical and what's not. I think uh, my guess is that once I pass away, I'll have a chance to really uh, see or know <laughs> how ethical I was. Like I said, I, I'd like to believe that I've got a few tools that I've recognized or, or researched that are very effective for me to think about not only making a better choice, but maybe more importantly, if I don't make the best choice, thinking about what stopped me. Why didn't I make a better choice in that regard? What, what, what was there? What were the excuses or the rationales I use? And I think in that regard, it isn't that I'm more or less ethical than anybody else out there. It really is this idea of having something really simple rather than philosophical and iffy and deep, something very simple to think about making choices where I am standing in others' shoes. And it's a very effective way to think about making better choices. So I'm hopeful yeah. I'm making better choices today than I was yesterday in using that tool and others. And, that, and that's a great answer because there's no, there's no right answer to that question, right? But there's only the, the answer you believe in, the way you put it, it's like, I'm using that as a tool in my life to live a better life. And hopefully that will carry on with my legacy, my family, and whoever I'm connected to that know that I am as an individual, try my best to be ethical, but also think about other people before myself. And there might be some bumps in the road, but I did my best. And I think that's what it's about being a universal human being, authentic human being, just saying, you know what? I did what I thought I should have done in that moment. That was my ethics at the moment, because your ethics, I feel like change as you age, because you get new information and new experiences. But uh, I just think this is a great topic and conversation that people are really gonna take in. Um, Christopher, I just want to say thank you for being here once again. People, the noble edge, get the book, it's out. Come on, <laughs> leadership expert, Christopher Gilbert, PhD, let's go. Um, is there anything you want to say or leave with the people before we get off of here? Any motivation, inspiration? How can we find you? You know, yeah, absolutely. The book is available on all the online sites, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Indigo.com, uh, Books a Million. Um, it's also available in your local uh, brick and mortar bookstores. And I'm a great fan of supporting those local businesses as well. If they don't have it, they can order it and get it in for you. But you can go on Amazon. You can also read a number of reviews. The book's gotten five awards right. um, so far, not only nationally, but internationally. So I'm really happy or grateful to see that. And if I were to say one thing, at least in the current era, Maybe it's for folks to think about ethics from this perspective. You know, ethics is not an exercise of our rights. It's an exercise of our virtues. So it's great to stand on this idea that we've got rights and principles and I'm not going to do this or I'm going to do this based on that. Maybe we can begin to think more about what virtues are we exercising, not just for ourselves or a few of us that believe in the same thing, but for all of us. What virtues are we exercising when we make, when we make the choices that we do? It's about building trust and not eroding it, we're probably in pretty good ethical stead. Trust, trust it is. Well, I trust you today and thank you for the information and thank you for the, the, the time and the energy and uh, this was an ethical conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's a real privilege. Yeah. And again, I'll say that this podcast, I think is an example of you wanting to get others exposed to information that's really important to living uh, a better life with each other. So thank you. Noble age, you got to be noble and ethical, you know. There you go. There you go. Christopher Gilbert. So, thanks again. Thank you. And um, we're done here. You're very welcome. Thank you. Yes.